Welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus, highlighting health, healing, and healthy lifestyles with your host, Jacobus Holloway. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Uh, it's good, nice to be with you. It's nice to be with you. The week before Christmas. And of course, everybody's busy stressing out, etc., and making sure everything gets done on time. Well, uh, we appreciate your tuning in today. Today is actually a program where uh, we talk about things that for some of you getting into the mood of Christmas might be very interesting. We talk about uh, consciousness and unconsciousness. We talk about regression, going back in time. We'll talk uh, maybe the topic of, I'm almost positive, the topic of reincarnation even will come up. Very interesting. Uh, what is known about it? We're going to talk about hypnotherapy. I think you're going to hear some things that we have never really discussed on this program. They might have, uh, they might have, men- have been mentioned, but we have never really discussed it in depth as we are going to do today. So it's good to have you with us. We talk every Sunday morning from 7 to 10 about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. Uh, Gesundheit means health or good health. And uh, we talk with the experts. We give them a chance to chat about their passions. We talk about uh, their expertise. Why have they done it for so long and why are they so good at it? As always, when we talk about these kind of topics, we're not here to, uh, to diagnose, treat, or prescribe. We're here to entertain to educate and inform. And we ask you, therefore, that when there is anything that uh, that you want to know more that we cannot discuss today, that as time runs out, make sure you give the guest a call. You can do that or go to a professional of your choice or read up on information on the Internet. Find a book, magazine, something that will give you more information about this. None of the topics that I ever discuss is unavailable anywhere on the Internet, so you always find some information about it. So that's that's good. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about Barbara Pomar. Barbara is a hypnotherapist specializing in regressions, taking the client to the root cause, the original source of their unwanted behaviors or thoughts, thus neutralizing the attached emotions, thereby releasing the automatic tendency to repeat the unwanted behaviors. Barbara has done demonstrations on PBS in the mid-90s, and she has led thousands of people into past lives doing public demonstrations. Privately, she has done sessions with one or two people, as well as with groups as big as 300 at a time. Her first regression session was in the early 70s, and she didn't do the next one until she had learned to do past life regressions without hypnosis, instead using guided imagery or active memory recall. Barbara Pomar has a BA in Business Administration Finance and MA in Clinical Hypnosis. She has also studied with Brian Weiss, a PhD, for three years with Morris Netherton, learning about abreactive therapy, and with Henry Bulldog. She is currently in a doctorate program with the American Pacific University in Hypnosis. The International Board of Regression Therapy recently certified Barbara as a regression, as a board certified regression therapist. Now, the number where you can call Barbara after the program uh, is 760-774-7673, Barbara, it's I know I know you, and personally, we were able to shake hands and meet each other. But it is so nice that you're with us this morning early on the radio. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jacobus. It's great to be with you, and I thank you for inviting me to join you all. 
Yeah, it's uh, you have um, you your work is uh, very in depth. Uh, the information that I share with you as preparation of the show is uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, it it shows me that you have done so much work in this field and uh, you have helped so many people. Tell us a little bit. Take us back in time. We are going to talk about regression anyway. So take us back in time and tell us a little bit where it all started for you. Well, for me, it started with curiosity. Um, I was raised Catholic and uh, and went to a Catholic high school in which reincarnation was only for those ignorant people who didn't know any better. Uh Uh, Later on, I read about Edgar Cayce and his work, and he would go into a trance. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-induced hypnotic trance and report past life influences on people that he had never seen. And the, that, and with suggestions, he was able to make differences in people's lives. And that got me curious. Right. And I said, okay. And I found out that over 70% of the world's population have a belief in reincarnation. Well, not everybody is ignorant. No, that's actually right. <laughs> And so I started reading, and I had a boyfriend at that time who uh, was interested and was going for um, uh, regression. And he came out and said, and came to visit me afterwards and said, the time was out, but we weren't finished. Here's, all you have to do is tell me to go back, and I'll go back, and I'll find out and ask questions, and I'll find out what happened. Uh Well, we did. I did. It worked. But in all of, the, all, of, all of those directions, he never told me how to bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> Little detail that was omitted. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which, which, which was an important one. So he stayed. Uh, well, part of him um, stayed in that uh, fight that we were having way back when. And I said, okay, there, there's something here. And I, I was reading books about Edgar Casey and, and some Hindu books about yeah. reincarnation, uh, autobiography of a yoga. And it all, it, all, it all started yeah. to, to make sense, but I knew it, um, there were problems of doing it without knowing what you were doing. So I started reading, and I wanted to do it without hypnosis, because at that time, hypnosis, you had to go into a deeper state in which you're not completely aware of what's happening, and the person is not in control, and I didn't like that idea of not being in control. I see. So I learned how to do it using guided imagery in which the person themselves accepts, um, follows directions into going back in time. Right. And first time I, I did it with a girlfriend, it was successful. She followed the same way with me. I liked the process. So from then on, that was the process I used. I went to, I ended up in Maryland. Right. And I was working with the Edgar Casey people, the Association for Research and Enlightenment, uh-huh. leading meditation groups. And someone asked me if I knew of anyone who did past life. I see. And said, By the way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, that's what all started. I had a very good girlfriend in Delaware, who was, and that was just about 20 miles away from where I was in Salisbury, Maryland. And... No, no, she was a little bit further than that, maybe about 50, 50, 60 miles away. But um, we got together, and she got me involved in teaching in Delaware and in the universities in Dell Tech, and that's how I got started. 
So it was really, uh, uh, you, you start reading about it and you start working with it a little bit and you realize that it works. Now, yes. obviously, a personal interest to turn it into a professional dedication, uh, yes. that's, that's quite a step. I mean, I, I, I think uh, personally, I think uh, what I do is really what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, it feels very good to me working with health at, and healing. And um, I've been able to uh, so far to find jobs and make a living out of it. Yes. But for you, that is kind of a kind of a topic. Uh, how do you all of a sudden get into this and uh, am able to make a profession out of this? Uh, word of mouth. Okay. Uh, I d- at first I, I did no advertising. Um, after I got my bachelor's in finance, I opened up an office in Maryland doing financial consulting, yeah. and I was doing this work part time and on we- um, evenings and weekends. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, it just took took over, and I found out I enjoyed work working with people. Uh, when I was working with finances, I, I was a certified financial planner, and I found out that people had cycles in their finances. Aha, uh-huh, interesting. And some people could only get to some point, and they were to do something stupid like going shopping. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, not that stupid. Not stup- <laughs> well, it's not really stupid, but when you're close to bankruptcy, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it, it really going way out. And after we had gotten everything settled, so bankruptcy was not a viable option anymore. They mm. were getting everything paid off and doing well, and then they, they would go right back. Or they would get, build up their finances, and then they would say, well, I have so much, therefore I can go into to this highly risky investment scheme, yeah, yeah. which oh, turned out yeah, to be, be yeah. bust. Uh-huh. And it was a pattern. And I, I found out, okay, there is a past life. There is a... And a past life doesn't... That could be... I think you, um, past life is anything in the past. I mean, it could be, it could be uh, three years ago. It could be yesterday. It could be an hour ago. Exactly. But we, it's somehow we get on a pattern and we uh-huh. start. We see there is a repetition in that pattern. Yeah. Uh, it is like a tape that keeps running in our in our mind and uh, tells us to do something. And it almost seems like we have no control over it. We 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 cannot right. really take control over it. So we end up repeating. Mistakes. It's comfortable. Correct. It's comfortable. Wow. Yeah. And we we're we're basically comfortable people. I see. And, even and in, even in our misery, it, even in our misery, we're comfortable. Right. It, it, yeah. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Huh. And if people are f- comfortable being miserable, they're they're not happy with it. No. But but, still they, but when in stress, they'll go back there because it's comfortable. It's some something they know about. Yeah. yeah and um. That that disturbs me. I don't like like people being being like that. I, I don't I don't think it's necessary. No, but it depends where you stand. You know, exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> for, it's easy for us to say. You're right. But, uh, <laughs> like we say, comfortable is uh, whatever somebody makes out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So then you you started working with people, and then it says over here you've been doing things on demonstrations on PBS in the mid nineties. Uh, how did that come all about? Well, I belong to an associate at that point was the Association of Research. Um, regression and research therapies, and it's now known as the International Association for Regression and Research and Therapies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they were having a conference in D.C., and Brian Rice was there, and uh, a couple of the big 
writers of the time mm-hmm. were there, and they had cameras and everything. So DC is a great thing for publicity, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone said yes, asked the people to to volunteer to do regressions, <laughs> and I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. So they had me um, put me in a room, and I had a. One, one of those hard metal chairs, and that they brought brought in someone, and she's that I'd never seen before. Yeah. Um, and they said, "Okay, she's the one you're, you're going to do the regression on." Oh wow! And it was not the most comfortable situation because you had these glaring lights, this hard chair, yeah. and I'm supposed to make her feel comfortable. Yeah. And so I tried to. I got comfortable, and we. And she was she she had been um, regressed before. Oh, good. So she she knew knew about it, but she said, "Okay, fine." So we we went back, and um, it, it was successful. Yeah. She found answers that she had been trying to get for a long time. Uh huh. And I lost track of her, and um, all of a sudden it was on PBS, and then afterwards there was a panel <laughs> of us going on. Uh, I'd been living in L.A. for a while, and I knew the entertainment business. And I, okay, a lot of people do these pilot shows that yeah. never go anywhere. Yeah. And okay, fine. I just thought that this was one of them. And I thought, okay, any experience is good experience. So I was really surprised that that was really legit. Yes. So you never met this person again, and uh, no. But did you take this person back into uh, a stressful situation in her life? Uh, what was going on? I mean, this is obviously very publicly. Then, uh, if it shows yes, up it, on it, TV, it was. It was, um, and she abreacted. She there were tears. There, were, um, it was obvious she was in a in a different place at a different time. She spoke with a different accent. Mm. Oh, interesting. So it it was it verified to me that yes, I can do it. That's right, and uh, you know, obviously, we can take people back into a different, uh, different time in their life, but also uh-huh. a different li- time in their consciousness, a different time on their soul's evolution. Right. If we can mention it, if we can say it that way, one of the things that I was reading, indeed, is that uh, just like you just mentioned, all of a sudden, while in trance or while under hypnosis, people can actually start talking a different language. They have a different yeah. accent, different language. And um, that is very interesting. And uh, I, I was even reading, and I think uh, that might have been something I talked with you about, about uh, people in Hollywood area uh-huh. who are, uh, there are movie directors who uh-huh. are going through regression in order to pick up on a accent or a dialect uh, that they need to use in a movie and they go back to a time from when that language was spoken and the first thing that came to mind was Mel Gibson Mm -hmm. with uh, his uh, Passion of the Christ and now with his new movie Apocalypto where he has everybody speak a certain language and I was just wondering if that is something that uh, indeed happens that that, uh, directors do go back to another time, another place, in order to uh, in order to be in contact with a civilization or an, a, a culture or a time that is not present anymore. Yes, yes, it is possible. I don't know, have any personal recollection or experience with that. I do. I have worked with writers uh-huh. going back and getting the cultural, getting the dialect, getting the more of a realistic social, cultural aspect to a story. Huh. 
Now, Barbara, you mentioned hypnosis, and I, I was going a little bit through the history of hypnosis. Can mm-hmm. you tell me, in a, in a nutshell, uh, how hypnosis started? And uh, Well, the, the first instance of, of hypnosis was when God put Adam into a trance. Okay. And put Adam to sleep and took a rib. That's, that's the first noted use of hypnosis. I see. And then other than that, uh, Mesmer used it back in the 1800s, and there was a doctor in India that used, um, used it for surgery. operations. Uh-huh, surgery. And mm-hmm. it was the first surgery, and was very, very successful. And because of that, it was uh, researched and wasn't quite used in this country, doing very well. And Freud tried to use it and wasn't too successful himself. It was a little bit too powerful for him, it is thought. Oh, uh, later on, um, right before he died, well, I talked to his daughter, Anna, I believe, and when she, she visited the Virginia Beach Association of Research and Enlightenment, she was asked about her father and hypnosis. She said later on, he said he wished he had continued using it and exploring it more, that it was a viable, that, that it was a good tool to use. You know what we should do, Barbara? We're coming yeah. up here to a news break. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go over this when we come back because this is really interesting, I think, mm-hmm. the history and, and how it has been accepted right now by the American Medical Association is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So let's come back. Uh, folks, you're listening to Barbara Pomar on Gesundheit with Jacobus. We will be right back. Positive visualizations are the integral part of the healing process. Barbara, I tell you, it's uh, it's fascinating. My preparation for this program, talking with you and seeing some of the things that you would like to discuss today, it's going to be a uh, fantastic program, and uh, I think it opens up people's minds about the possibilities here. And I thought, you know, maybe what I could do is uh, tell a little bit about, you know, uh, the history. You, you, you hit it all upon it. Dr. Franz Anton Mesmer, Franz Anton Mesmer, a German physician, introduced hypnosis to the medical community in the late 18th century under the name mesmerism. Although many people know that word mesmerism. Mesmer theorized that a universal fluid present in all objects produced disease when it was out of balance in the human body. But Mesmer soon fell out of favor and was banned from France after a committee headed by American statesman Benjamin Franklin and Joseph de Guillotine, a French physician. I wonder if that's the same man who did the guillotine, the cutting of your head. So he was a French physician. (laughs) Well, that's one way to take care of that surgery, sir. Just lay right here and we'll be done in a jiffy. Uh, They could not verify the findings. Um, James Braid, an English ophthalmologist, later changed the name to hypnosis based on hypnos, the Greek word for sleep. Although hypnosis, well, (laughs) the guillotine, (laughs) he sure put people to sleep, didn't he? He really did. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah, (laughs) forever. Although hypnosis is not sleep, the word became entrenched in the English vocabulary. In the mid-1800s, James S. S. Dale, Asdale, an English surgeon stationed in India, like you mentioned, performed a variety of operations using only hypnotic anesthesia. Some of the surgical procedures he performed while administering hypnosis included amputations of the arm, breast, and penis, as well as the removal of tumors. One of the more well-known proponents of hypnosis was Sigmund Freud, the 19th century father of modern psychiatry. Freud delivered two papers on the subject, 
and included it in his own practice. There was something positively seductive in working with hypnosis, he wrote. For the first time, there was a sense of having overcome one's helplessness, and it was highly flattering to enjoy the reputation of being a miracle worker. But by the early, that was uh, Freud quoted. By the early 1890s, however, Freud rejected hypnosis in favor of his own theories of analysis, and shortly afterward, the practice became the focus of dispute, also of disagreement and argument. It wasn't until the middle of this century that the British and American medical societies recognized its use as an adjunct to treating pain. Now, that's interesting because the, the British Medical Association and the American Medical Association both approve hypnotherapy and trance as a solid therapy and and i was reading barbara that indeed the the membership of the hypnotherapy society however you want to call it it's primarily physicians dentists scientists uh, psychologists they all that this this group of people is ever growing and and i understand that uh, let's see approximately 15 1515 15,000 doctors now combine hypnotherapy with traditional treatments, and recent studies show that 94% of patients benefit from hypnotherapy, even if the only be- if the only benefit is relaxation. Now, my question to you is: It looks like these society associations approve it as a method to reduce pain, which, in my opinion, is already fascinating, but. On top of that, you see in your work that you're actually able to take people back to a time and and relive what might have started something that they're presently experiencing as cycles come back in our life. And I hope I say that correctly in this sentence. I kind of stumbling, <laughs> rambling words here. But so things in the past could come back today. Maybe yeah. not exactly the same, but with different people, but the energy is there. And and how well is that kind of therapy accepted by the American Medical Association? Well, the American Medical Association accepts hypnosis as done by physicians or uh, medical practitioners. Most hypnotherapists are not medical practitioners. Okay. And that becomes a problem. Most hypnotherapists have have the same amount of training and same quality of training as the medical doctors have in hypnosis, in the use of hypnosis. Mm -hmm. However, they're not medical practitioners, therefore they're not able to diagnose or treat symptoms. Right. So after what they find out, there is only so much they can do with the information that they receive through the client. Well, yes. And the AMA and other medical associations have lobbied to the point where hypnotherapists need to have prescription or written referral from a medical practitioner before they can treat um, most ailments besides smoking and weight loss. Right, that's right. That is, it's used a lot for that. Um, so even with pain, they need to have a medical prescription. Um, that needs to, to, to be emphasized. Okay. And my clients, I stress to my clients that they need to have, they need, need to see a doctor and get a medical referral for hypnosis, for the use of hypnosis. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, most doctors that I, I work with um, have no problems with that. 
they have no problems because well, we, we, they know we, we you. Get, right, right, because, um, and because of my credentials. Right, exactly. Well, it's, um, you know, as far as the acceptance is concerned, I, mm-hmm. the reason why I want to bring that up is because for a lot of people, this seems like a little bit out there. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, hypnotherapy, what is that? But it is really well-researched and mm-hmm. it is well-practiced by mm-hmm. so many different people in the field of health and healing. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, according to this book that I'm working with, um, this is a book that is called uh, Alternative Medicine, The Definitive Guide, and there is over 350 leading-edge physicians mm-hmm. who are contributing to this book. They, they obviously talk about something that in their practice mm-hmm. is a very normal standard procedure. Yeah. But somehow to the mass consciousness of the people in this country... Mm-hmm. specifically and maybe it is because of religious convictions and what people are being told uh it is not something that is used on a regular basis and it is not something that just uh, comes uh, rolls over the tongue like it is uh, it's everyday practice so looking at that i understand that hypnotherapy specifically and i understand that you don't you're a hypnotherapist but at the same time you're working more with regression which is something i want to want you to understand uh explain i would like you to explain to the people what the difference is between the work that you do and the so-called uh, and the actual hypnotherapy but that hypnotherapy is used by so many physicians to a certain extent but also that it is used by people in psychology to help mm-hmm. people deal with issues that are going on in their lives and how they take that, uh, how they go even further back in time and find out that it is not just all about the physical body as we are experiencing it in this life, but that it also we can go back into another period of our soul's level and, and find out traumas and good things and good memories mm-hmm. that we are experiencing in life today. Well, the, uncon- the conscious mind, we, we talked earlier about the conscious mind and the unconscious mind right. briefly. Uh-huh. The, unconscious, the conscious mind has very limited memory. It has um, some short-term memory, but it's basically, its function is basically to keep the ego alive and well. The unconscious mind keeps, and the subconscious mind, and a lot of people put them together and there's not much of a there's a slight difference, but not much of a difference between the two. The unconscious mind um, and the deeper subconscious mind has all of the memories the person has. Right. From way, way back when. And its purpose is to keep the person alive, keep the body alive. Interesting. Uh-huh. So a lot of times through various experiences, the unconscious mind gets... Gets that a little bit tweaked. Right. By that I mean it. It assumes that as long as the person is coughing and sneezing, the person is alive, even though they're in a dust storm. Uh huh. And oftentimes that's the. Oftentimes that could be the cause of allergies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as long as the person is breathing and gagging. They're alive, and I've and the same thing with fear of water. They're drowning, and so some other time, or they're close to drowning, say in a bathtub or in a swimming pool, yeah. and that they can't swim. And as long as they keep gagging, they're alive. Yes. So that they get get their water, they start gagging. <laughs> right, right. Just, I see. Yeah, and that they they have the fear come in. It's 
they're trying to, you know, the unconscious mind is trying to keep them alive. Well, we, when we go back, we find out that that's it, and that's what's happening, and the conscious mind can make the, they make the decision that that's okay, that was what happened right then. It's not current, and it doesn't have to be now. Right. So there's a connection between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. So that is, in a way, you know, we talk on this program about Western medicine and natural medicine. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I have stated many times that one can really not function without the other, in spite of right. the fact that each individual practitioner will say, oh, we can do it without <laughs> the other. But mm -hmm. in practicality, a physical ailment that somebody has, why they go to a doctor, could indeed be just a physical ailment that needs to be helped with, needs, needs help. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when people have chronic problems, mm -hmm. um, it is uh, very interesting to find out what that underlying problem is. And ob obviously, there is a cause that started way back when. It could have been a stressful yeah. period, a stressful time. It could have been a, uh, rela a relationship issue. We might be attracted to somebody uh, and start a relationship with that person, not realizing that on a soul level, mm -hmm. that person triggers, uh, triggers a certain allergy or certain emotional reaction every time we see him or her. Right. And and the therapies that you're working with can actually help people who are dealing with issues that they say, you know, I've tried this, I've tried, I went to a naturopath, a homeopath, I went to a psychologist, I went to a doctor, mm -hmm. I had blood work done. Nobody can find out what's wrong with me. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the things that you emphasize in your practice with the type of work that you do, that you help people to say, let's go back in a time, let's tap into that subconscious and that unconscious mind and find mm -hmm. out what might have triggered this because it is still stored. There's like an yeah. archive, right? There's an right. archive of memories. Mm -hmm. And 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 um, that is kind of what you work with. Yes. Uh, oftentimes that we have, I, um, it was explained to me like Velcro. On Velcro, you've got uh, one, one side of the Velcro has a hook. Yeah. The other one has um, a loop. Correct. And it works when the hook gets into the loop and it fastens. But if there, there's no loop, the hook, it just doesn't work. Correct. So the past incidents are like, like the hooks. Uh -huh. And when there's something that's similar, um, the hook, it, it gets into the hook and it hooks on. So what we do is we minimize the, the loops. Yes. And with that, then the it's difficult going through earth earth experiences without having a lot of negative stuff, which I call hooks, yes. going by. Uh -huh. But but if you've got no loops, then it just goes on by like water off a duck's back, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Now, when you talking about, uh, we, we talked earlier about hypno, we talk, we're talking about hypnotherapy, but mm -hmm. you work, um, you don't always put people in a hypnotic state. Tell us what is a hypnotic state, and are you actually working, or how, or how do you work with the, with the hypnotism? Okay, Milton Erickson um, revised hypnosis um, back in the eight, um, early 80s, late 70s, mm -hmm. and he did uh, he was a medical doctor, and he used hypnosis. And he found out that uh, in his practice, that just telling stories, he did s such good work. 
yes. and produced what people call miracles just by listening to him tell stories. And I, I read about him, and I read a little bit about the Hawaiian Huna, who does um, their people do uh, hypnotic work, but they call it something different. Okay. And was mostly guided imagery. And what it does, and this is the same thing as a lot of the, um, I would say, the, the meditation practitioners Okay, do. okay. Uh, you, you tell stories, you get people involved in uh, scene, and you take them back, You and getting involved in listening to a story like watching TV where you're so involved that you don't hear somebody calling you for, for, for dinner even. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, I've you, you can get me this, and you're involved in, in this, the touchdown of the last 15 seconds of a football game. Yeah. That's... So something that that's you're in a trance. I see. So, uh, when you're involved in something so that you're not aware of what's going on, that can be called that's a trance. Mm. And I get people not quite that deep because they are aware of what's going on, but they're also aware of being in two places, two time zones at the same time. Okay. Okay. Um, they're able to say, okay, now I know that that's look looking back. The, the adult or the judge can say, okay, that's the child's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. That's not what really happened, and that's and that this is what is. Okay. And at that point, there seems to be, it's going back into Bruce Lipton's work with um, biology of the cell and with the um, environment of the cell. The environment changes as perception changes. Correct. So as the perceptions change, the cell changes, and therefore all of the reactions, therefore, automatically change. I see. Uh-huh. Sometimes it happens automatically, instantaneously. Sometimes it takes a, a few days, sometimes a few months. Hmm. To, uh, to work with somebody to take them back to that level. Well, Is that what you mean? To, to take them back to, to the lo level only takes a few minutes. Really? But for, for the change to, to take place in their physical life. Uh-huh. So sometimes it takes a little bit longer. So is is uh, a client walking in the door and being put under hypnosis, is that becoming a thing of the past? Or is well, it still very valuable? Um, it is still very valuable. I use hypnosis, and hypnosis is, com is usually used to change um, unwanted habits, un unwanted behaviors to reprogram. Okay, okay. Um, because at that point, you want the conscious mind judging to be set aside, and you want it to get down into to the subconscious level and the unconscious level. Uh. And once the conscious mind has made the decision, and before we go down into to that level, after all of the preliminary work has been done, I right. we go. We say, okay, these are the changes, and their conscious mind says, yes, this is what I want, and we, we go through it, and then I take them down into a deeper and deeper level. Yeah. What's called the somnambulistic level. And then I go through the changes and get all of their, you know, the conscious mind has already approved, but then I get their subconscious mind to approve it and the unconscious mind to accept it. Okay. And then at that point, then the unconscious mind automatically. Um, changes its programming. Hmm. Hmm. 
So this is now done with hypnosis. That what we talk call a hypnosis. Right. Okay. That, 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 that's the done done with a formal trance. So or, or, or what, what's called a formal induction. Which means that uh, the person, when they come out of this hypnosis, at mm-hmm. that point is not really aware of what they said, uh, where they were, what they, uh, you know, what their experience was. You kind of have to fill them in and say, "This is what you were talking about." Yes, and at that point, um, I've when I work on that deep level, we've already discussed what I'm I'm going to be talking to, to them about. Okay. And so that it's all clear, and I, I stick by that. Uh-huh. And they're in a, they might, might be aware, but they're not, sometimes they're just short of snoring. Oh, okay. So are their eyes closed at that time? They're, their eyes closed, that they're relaxed. Are they sometimes laying down? I, I tuck them in with, with a nice little blankie. Okay. And I have some soft music going on, so that they just their their conscious mind just drifts off to the music. And I said it doesn't. And at that point, they're aware of some of what I say and some of not, and it doesn't make any difference because they already know it. And then afterwards, I go through it again, what I just did. Huh. Now something comes to mind here for a second, and I was thinking about mm-hmm. that last night also to ask you um, when people say certain things and they're taking medication let's say they're on antidepressants when they Mm -hmm. come to you will that or will the fact if they're smoking some marijuana or something and they come into your office could that actually affect the the uh the things they say and the memories they recall uh that's they're two different things okay um okay uh first of all the prescription the non-prescription drugs let's just call it that, yeah. the mind-altering non-prescription drugs. Okay. Yes, and if there's, uh, it's difficult work, working with, with, with people who are under the influence okay. because their consciousness is not all, all there. Okay. Now, you're talking about prescription drugs or illegal um, drugs? Uh, uh, non-prescription drugs. Non-prescription drugs. So in this case, you talk about like marijuana, for example? Marijuana, okay. crack. That's right. You know, um, all of and all of that. Yes. Um, with prescription drugs, normally that's not a problem. Okay. Uh, I will get. I, I do check to see that I have a referral and I have a consent to discuss with their doctors okay. about it. Uh-huh. Because after we work, even the first session, their need for medication decreases. To the uh-huh. point they can easily overdose on what they're using. Okay. So they need to be monitored by their physician, by the prescribing physician. Okay. To see that the dosage is okay. Unfortunately, I've had people go have to go on emergency. Right. Uh, and the doctors say you're you're taking too much of this. Yeah. And it's, it's causing problems, and they check with, and so the doctors come in, and then they d- decrease it. Okay, okay. So they really need to be aware that our work is very intense, and it is, it does change the need for medications. Right. 
Okay. Well, you know, this is uh, this is interesting because I know so many people are over medicated, mm-hmm. and I uh, and and uh, you know you could have somebody coming into your office and you don't even know that they're on medication or they're not telling you or they're using something that is unknown. And I think therefore that uh, uh, that could indeed have an effect on the session. And I'd like to talk to you more about that if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. there's some thoughts I have about it, folks. Uh, we'll be right back. When you give up hope, death will be near. All right. Uh, this was actually kind of funny. I saw this article yesterday. This was a, uh, it says over here, there was an amazing cowboy hypnotist. Uh, <laughs> it was opening night at the Civic Center and the amazing cowboy hypnotist was stopping the bill. People came from miles around to see the famed hypnot- hypnotist do his stuff. As the cowboy hypnotist took to the stage, he announced, Unlike most stage hypnotists who invite two or three people up onto the stage to be put into a trance, I intend to hypnotize each and every member of this audience. The excitement was almost electric as the cowboy hypnotist withdrew a beautiful antique pocket watch from his coat. I want you each to keep your eye on this antique watch. It's a very special watch. It has been in my family for six generations. Then he began to swing the watch gently back and forth while quietly chanting, Watch the watch. Watch the watch. Watch the watch. The crowd became mesmerized as the watch swayed back and forth, light gleaming off its polished surface. Hundreds of pairs of eyes followed the swaying watch until subtly it slipped from the hypnotist's fingers and fell to the floor, breaking into a hundred pieces. Crap, said the cowboy hypnotist. It took weeks to clean up that theater. <laughs> oh, All right, I think we have Barbara back with us. Uh, Barbara, are you with us? Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Did you hear the end of that story? Yes, I did. <laughs> have you ever had that problem? <laughs> that that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's get a caller on. Caller, thanks for joining us today. Your name, how can we help you? This is Brother Reader, the slow one. Brother Reader? Well, yeah, Daniel, well, good morning, uh, Daniel. Yeah, I have long and short questions. I better get it in before I'm overwhelmed by fast people that come through. That's right. Now, the short question that is a typical concern of some of us, even New Agers, is that we're cautious about hypnotism, that we may be cured of something like smoking, but some of the, when the floodgates are open, some of the mind might be open to the bad habits of the hypnotherapist. And that person that might be pretty calm at first may give up smoking, but now he's high-strung and has a short fuse over <laughs> minor instances because he's been, uh, tra- he's been transferred. Yeah. And this will tell you why I call myself the Brother Reader. There, there is this seeming risk in watching movies and TVs, uh, and this is a very new-age thought, that of brain entrainment. I was just reading somebody named Sherry Turco, who is a professor at MIT. She claims that modern technology, like movies and TV, let's see, here's the quote, we come to the point where sharing our thoughts and feelings instantaneously, and it can lead to a new dependence, sometimes to the extent that we need others in order to feel our feelings in the first place. And that's why I do things the old-fashioned way, like reading it. If we watch TV, we're just rushed along, and we have to accept everything. We have no way of turning it off and contemplating, and pardon the expression, using our critical judgment. Do you think that form of hypnotism through brain entrainment of TVs and movies? 
Yes, um, and let me take the first question first and then go on into this one. The first one um, had was actually in two parts. One was taking care of one um, symptom, one problem, and opening up the floodgates for others. Yeah. Yes, uh, research has shown that one addiction is, it's the addictive personality or addiction syndrome, whether it comes to um, cigarettes, chocolate, sex, or um, salt, for example. Um, There's something that triggers it, and when you do one, you might inadvertently put the other one in its substance, in its exchange. Well, the going back, we're using the regression and going back and taking care of the basic um, problem or situation, neutralizing the basic situation that provided the loop in the first place, takes care of that problem. Um, then the suggestions can be implanted that there's something else to be done. Um, I normally use wa- um, water, clean, clear water as a substitute. Okay. Uh, the other one, as far as the taking on the subconscious habits of the hypnotherapist, is, is a um, concern, and it does happen. It happened to me. My, my first or second um, encounter with hypnosis, Yeah. Uh, I was using um, hypnosis to go into a past life, and my hypnotist, or hypnosis, hyp- hypnotist, was a chain smoker. Huh. I had never smoked before. Well, ap- after working with him, it was um, taking me back into a past life was not successful, I must say. Really? Uh, however, the implantation, I, I did start trying, trying, trying to smoke. I had a craving for cigarettes after that. Huh. Uh, my salvation was that I had a sensitive throat, and after two cigarettes, I would get a s- tremendous sore throat. So that stopped my smoking quite effectively. Yeah. So, and that was what caused me to look for another way of doing regression work without using deep hypnosis. Oh, I see. Okay, so yes, huh. uh, in order to, when you're looking for a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, you need to to be sure, looking into their background, and make sure that you you're comfortable with them. Yeah. And you have to use your your gut feeling. And yes, I've had people come in and talk to me and say no, no, thank you. And I wasn't. I was hurt because it was. You know, I did, at first I took it as as rejection, and I said no, that's fine because it probably wouldn't work. I couldn't work. We couldn't work together. I see. So that's fine. And there are people who could come in, we, we talk, and I said, I think you need to go to see someone else. Huh. Uh, it's a very personal relationship that you, both people need to be comfortable with each other and trust each other. If, if that can't be built up and if you don't have the trust after the first session, then you don't want to continue the relationship. Uh-huh. It's, it's more, it's just as intimate as trying to find a good mate, huh. 
except, you know, that this one is temporary. <laughs> yes. That this relationship is temporary. But you really do want to, to get someone who you're comfortable with and that you can trust and that has the same values as you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, other qu- um, the other question about it is the uh, int- um, brain, in- I believe the phrase was brain entrapment. Entrainment. Entrainment. Well, so similar. Uh, yes, when especially when you fall asleep watching TV. As I mentioned beforehand, uh, you can get so entranced by television that to or the exclusion of everything else, at that point, everything that's going on, that's going on around you, including what's coming through the TV, your unconscious mind is taking as as fact. Um, with the because the conscious mind's Judgment fact faculty has been set aside, uh-huh. and has not said, "Okay, this is this is entertainment. This is this is a fairy tale, and I don't have to believe it." The unconscious m- mind doesn't have that faculty. Mm-hmm. It believes everything that that's put in, so that when you're falling asleep watching TV, um, let me give you an example. Uh, I had a client um, come in that had was deathly afraid of tornadoes, uh-huh. and you know, and we were in an area in which that the you don't get tornadoes, but we had a tornado watch, and they and they were also going to be going to the Midwest where there are t- tornadoes, and just the idea of a tornado just put them into a anxiety attack right so we went back and went back to childhood and all of a sudden they were in a dark room and watching tv and they were about three years old parents had gone to bed and decided he wanted to watch tv so he turned on tv and all of a sudden there's this tornado and i must add that he was only afraid of white tornadoes Hmm. White tornadoes. White tornadoes. Well, huh. watching, and I took him back to the last time he saw a white tornado. Huh. Was it the Wizard of Oz or something? No. Oh. Um, it was a commercial on TV. Oh. There was a commercial on uh, Mr. Clean. Oh, Mr. Clean. White tornado with a tornado yes. going through the kitchen, tearing everything up. Yes. Terrified the poor guy. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so he, 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 he saw that and started laughing. He said, okay. Well, at, at that point, part of him was terrified. And then I asked the conscious mind, because the conscious mind was still there. I said, okay, what's happening? And he said, I'm watching TV. It's a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And, and then with, with that, we, we came forward, and that was the end of the problem. Uh-huh. All right, well, let's just see something, and then I'll rush off, pointed round. Here, a couple more quotes from Sherry Turkle, the professor at MIT. You can or you may not want to comment on these, but she says, we've created a communications culture that has decreased the time available for us to sit and think uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. We learn about what everyone else thinks by reading highly polarized opinions and that encourage choosing sides rather than thinking things through. We sometimes don't have the feelings until we check with other people if they have them, too. This kind of behavior used to be associated with early adolescence with their need for simple validation. Okay, I'm going to go. Thank you. Well, thanks, Daniel, for the input. Have a good Sunday. 
I, I, I can see what Daniel is saying because a lot of things that we read and see on TV uh, the next day around the water cooler, so to say, and work, uh, people say, hey, did you see this? And what do you think of that? And it seems like a lot of people either have uh, one of two opinions. There is never a third or fourth opinion. It's either uh, they agree with it or they don't agree with it. And I think indeed that it starts to polarize us consciously in, in this life a lot uh, to so-called simplify it. But obviously things are not that simple i mean if we deal with emotions and something gets triggered in us uh why is that let's say we have a relationship with our parents and as young children uh, having certain parents who are very dominating and very uh, you know they have they don't have their own emotions in 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 uh, you know they cannot have it under control they express those pains that they're suffering from from whatever they dealt with when they were little children mm -hmm. as adults they start they, they that is a safe safe way for them to express their feelings on their children and so we become a product of um, of memories that have been implanted in us as young children as bruce lipton is talking about in his work also mm -hmm. and so uh, you know it is either right or wrong and i think that what I can see with your work that you're doing is you can actually help people who would like to help themselves. I mean, you can't force it on anybody, but people who want to help themselves and say, there are these things in my awareness that every time I get in a relationship, every time I get confronted with something like this, it triggers a certain uh it, it, it breaks out, you know. I break out in a sweat. I uh, I I I get confused. Um, uh, I get fearful. Whatever it is, this is the type of therapy that has no judgment, but just takes you back to when it actually started, and then can heal that. Heal that wound is what I understand from what you're saying. It can yeah. heal it, and then we can move on into in the present with a clear mind and a clear uh, clear emotional balance that's true is that is that uh, is that fair to say that's ver that's very well put oh Good. yes uh, well, that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's all folks yeah yes it's um, one one of the things uh, we're talking about you're talking about memory is that we've got memories of because we're both parts, uh, we have both parts of mother and father with us. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. we have their, their cells. Yes. And we have their cellular memory as well as our own. Uh-huh. And a lot of times we have um, mother's memories up until birth and a little afterwards. We've got father's memories um, up until conception. Yes. So we have all of theirs, and sometimes what our problems are started back in one of either parent. Yes. So we can go back genetically. Uh-huh. And going back and trace it down, whether it's, you know, three, four generations ago or 10, 20 generations ago, or maybe it's just one generation ago. Yeah. That we can go back and see what what the purpose, what the survival was and what that situation was. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then neutralize it. And that helps all of the gen theoretically it happens it helps all of the generations from there forward. Yeah. And yeah. I've had one experience with that I well I've had several experiences with a client but one um which is a very short story. 
um, because we only had to go back. It was it took one session, and we went back. Um, her, her mother, uh, conversation with her grandmother um, before her mother's wedding. And the, the grandmother was giving the mother, the mother-daughter, premarital uh, talk about sex. Yeah. Well, at that point, it was too late. Oh. They had already been together the, the n- n- night before, and the grandmother was saying that a man would not appreciate or respect a wife who enjoys sex. Oh. And you can imagine what problems that had. The woman had come to me because um, she had a, she'd been living with her husband a couple years before, and they had a wonderful sexual relationship. Yeah. Until they got married, and then she couldn't let him touch her. Huh. And that was causing problems, and they had been to therapists and doctors, etc. And she came to me, and we said, okay, fine. We went back and talked, and she had a mother-daughter, mother-daughter, granddaughter, grandmother talk. Uh-huh. Said, okay, that might have been true at that point in time. This was around the turn of the century mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At, at this point. And said, okay, fine. But that is not really true. Right. And the, her mother accepted that. The grandmother said, well, okay, but it is true now, but it's not. And the mother says, no, that really isn't true. I see. And mm-hmm. last time I heard, she had a, a daughter. And when the mother visited, that it was as if there had been never any problems with her. The mother Isn't had already fantastic. Yeah. 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 The mother had resented her because she was conceived. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's really something. I. Uh, we'll, we'll go continue with that, Barbara, when okay. we come back, uh, folks. Barbara Pomar is with us today. We're going to be right back. Stay tuned, please. Now, uh, you said you want to put in your two cents worth. You want to do it right now. You want to <laughs> talk to Barbara. No Ask time like the present. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good morning, Barbara. <laughs> That's true. I heard that. <laughs> and how are you today, Barbara? I'm wonderful. Well, it's funny you should mention that topic about hypnosis. It was just about a year ago, matter of fact. Uh, this time of year from Thanksgiving through New Year's has always been a very stressful time for, for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a, a counselor, so to speak. And she's a lady, very, very nice lady, very good, too. But last year, we tried a couple of sessions of hypnosis because I exhibit um, I exhibit some post-traumatic stress syndrome disorders. So she, uh, we did a couple of sessions, and I didn't think we got anywhere, but we did identify some of these uh, events in my earlier life that have, that relate to why I feel the way I do during the holidays. Mm-hmm. So do you do that type of stuff also? Um, what what significance or what benefits would a patient get from, from you? Uh, similar to what you experienced. Uh, once they realize that there is a cause, that it's not forever. Well, it can be if you don't identify it. Right. If, if, you, if you don't identify it, you think that you've always had it and you always will. But once you find out one end of that continuum, 
that it is there is an end to it at the be- that it did have a start it what has a start has to have an end and when you find out that okay this is what it is and it doesn't need to be anymore that it was uh, that you misinterpreted what the original event was and that there is another reason for it and that there is a purpose for it and there's no further purpose for it (coughs) then you can then that loop collapses and the event might happen but sometimes you're not even aware of it or a similar event might happen and it just goes by says oh gee then later on you say I didn't react to it Hmm. And I've had clients that come back and they're completely surprised that a former situation in which they would have gotten enraged or would have had a panic attack just didn't bother them. One woman had um, a fear of being on an airplane. And we went back. It was not so much being on an airplane, but it was not being in control. Right, right. And we went back, and yes, it was childhood, something that happened in childhood, and we we processed it. She saw it, and afterwards, she went uh, on an air. She went to Europe with her husband, and of course, that's the quickest way of going. And she, she didn't think anything of it. And her husband commented later, said, "You actually slept." Huh. And she said, "Yes, it was as if." that problem had never existed. Right. It's... Our our brains are fantastic. And I think with the quantum mechanics and uh, the scientific explanations of time and way things work, we might eventually understand ourselves even more. Mm. But right now, most of this is anecdotal because we don't have scientific proof that there's no scientific explanations about most of this. With the current um, physicist exploring the mechanics of time, I think eventually we will have a better explanation. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, um, I was saying that this year is going much better than in previous years, although yesterday it was uh, it was strange i guess but i i uh was able to identify the problem when it was happening i had a couple of very uh high anxiety attacks yesterday huh. and i just had to step back went lay down and meditated and mm-hmm. after about a half hour or so felt fine again yeah huh, interesting and meditation is great when, is once it, you get yeah those times that you get to that that place you want to be yeah. But it doesn't happen all the time. I like the way that you say stepping back. It's almost mm-hmm. like you step out of that aura, out of that energy field that you're in. Get away you from that energy. step out of it, energy. and yeah. you almost look at it from the outside in. Yeah. Physically. Physically, is that what you did? You kind of physically yep. stepped out because of it. Because these are physical symptoms. Yeah. Definitely. Shortness of breath. You break out in a sweat. It feels like impending doom any second. Yeah, So yeah. just step back. Huh. And uh, relax. Hmm. And as you can see, nothing got me, so That's it right. was unfounded. <laughs> yeah, and then each time you do that, it becomes easier and easier. It becomes a non-issue. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. It's taken me all these years to recognize that. 
Isn't age wonderful? Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you hit 50 and parts is parts, and they start wearing out. <laughs> so that part's not so good. Yeah, but the soul is doing its work. Well, it's you know, just mental, then you exchange bodies. Yeah. Mentally, I feel like I'm still in my 20s, but physically, I feel like I'm 2007. <laughs> Uh, interesting. You know, I was also uh, I was also looking, Barbara, at um, a lot of people, different different forms of therapies that are out there, mm-hmm. and um, I know that psychoanalysis uh, designed by uh, developed by uh, by uh, Sigmund Freud mm-hmm. is still a very popular science, uh, po- popular popular kind of therapy used by people because mm-hmm. they really feel they can get to the bottom of things. It was just interesting. Uh, I mean, bottom of things of what has happened and uh, what might be going on in life and what might trigger reactions in, in this, in the present day. But it was interesting in this book, it says, uh, it says over here, most people are not aware that they can control their own healing and even influence their circulation because it was talking about how um, uh, when you have uh, hot and cold in your body Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to go away, you can actually work with that and visualize that like imagery like you're talking about and uh, start a healing process, circulation process. Um, Then it says over here, the long-term benefits of hypnotherapy are beginning to be borne out. Uh, Our comprehensive study, one comprehensive study of 170 78 patients suffering from chronic pain between 1981 and 1983 reported that 78% remained pain-free after six months, 47% after one year, 44% after two years, and 36% after three years. Another study showed the efficacy of hypnotherapy as compared to psychoanalysis and behavior therapy. After 600 sessions of psychoanalysis... 38% of the patients reported recovery from their conditions. Those receiving behavior therapy improved in 72% of all cases after 22 sessions, while hypnotherapy produced a 93% success rate after only six sessions. That is quite astounding, in my opinion, uh, that it can help so quick. And I, and I, I, I realize that many disorders are because we have been told all our lives that we're probably going to have cancer, so we're going to get cancer. We're probably going to have a heart problem because everybody else in the family had a heart problem. And uh, we're probably never going to amount to anything because we've all been workers and uh, we're never supposed to be rich and wealthy and, and whatever. And somehow these belief systems are so much part of us that it seems they're so, they're so ingrained and we mm-hmm. cannot get out of it. And I think it's fascinating to see how hypnotherapy can go back to wherever that is and, 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 and start the healing process and bring us back into the present. Mm-hmm. And we have a clear mind and a positive outlook into the future. Yes, it's, it's, it's amazing. But we're going back to that decision when the cells accepted the decision that you'll never have money, um, you'll you'll never have anyone to love you. Yeah. Uh, when you go back to that point in time, to, to that when that phrase was programmed in, regardless of how far back it goes, uh, and you re- redo that decision, say yes, okay. At that point in time, 
I might have been unlovable because I was da 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 da, and because of that, that, but that was that decision, and that was at that person. And oftentimes, when that phrase was being said, it was done out of anger by someone else. Right. And right. that the child was in a state of shock, which yes. is a trance. Yes. And so it went went back in. They realized that that person really didn't mean it. Um, that was it was said in anger or with malthought, and is n- no longer necessary, and it's not true. Yes. And once it's realized that it's not true, it wasn't really true then. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I had one client that we went back, uh, that he had a tremendous anger and had very low self-esteem, and we went back to a lifetime in which he was about the most vilest criminal you you could ever. It made Mac the Nice, or Jack the Ripper, yeah. a saint, and went back, and he, he felt very ugly. And what had happened is that he, he was the one, and when we realized that he went, went back and talked to his mother, and the mother said, I really wanted you. The mother had died, died in childbirth. Oh, wow. And the father had no idea. It, this was way back in the... 10th century, 11th century, way back when, on a farm. And the father had no idea what to do with his newborn son was going to do, and was drinking the world, just feed him to the pigs. Um, so he, and there was a woman there, she said, well, I'll take him. And she raised them, and he lived with the pigs. And got malformed at the, was abused and everything else, and grew up saying, being worthless, et cetera, and decided to take it out on anybody because that was just the way he was, he learned to survive. When he went back and realized that his mother really loved him, that he was lovable, even though that he was crippled, et cetera, et cetera, um, he was in tears, and he said, I am a lovable person. Mother did love me. I did have love. Right. I do have love. And that completely changed his whole being, um, his whole physiology, straightened up, and he got pride. Yeah. You know, the, the, the topic of reincarnation is indeed something that is, uh, uh, that is a lot of people on this planet are interested in reincarnation and what it mm-hmm. means and what it does for them. And uh, I would really like to talk to you more, but I, I thought I'd play for you and for the listeners a little piece that was written by uh, Wally McRae, Cowboy. And okay. it, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this one. It's kind of funny about uh, reincarnation. Chuck, we got that ready? All right, okay, let's go ahead and play it. What is reincarnation? My capo cast his friend. His pal replied, it happens when your life has reached its end. They comb your hair and wash your neck and clean your fingernails and lay you in a padded box away from life's travails. The box in you goes in a hole that's been dug in the ground And reincarnation starts in once you're planted neath a mound Them clods melt down just like your box in you who is inside And then you're just beginning on your transformation ride In a while some grass may grow upon your rendered mound Till one day on your lonely grave a single flower is found. Then say, a horse should wander by. 
and graze upon this flower that once was you but now has become your vegetative bower. Now this posy that the horse ate up with his other feed makes bone and fat and muscle essential to the steed. But some is left that he can't use. And so it passes through and finally lays upon the ground this thing that once was you. <laughs> then say by chance I wanders by and finds this object on the ground. I ponders and I wonders at this thing that I have found. I thinks of free incarnation of life and death and such and come away concluding, partner, you ain't changed all that much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Isn't it hilarious? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. I heard that piece a long time ago. This was uh, Riders in the Sky, Cowboy mm-hmm. Band, and uh, I thought I had to play this one today. Oh, yes. To, uh, to kind of give people a mellow introduction about reincarnation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very mellow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How would you call it, Barbara? I mean, in a way, when you bring people in a trance, in a hypnosis, um, uh, imagery, they are all of a sudden looking from the outside in and see themselves, or are they actually back into that into that state? They, uh, they, they'll start crying, they get emotional about it. How is it? Are they, are they back into that individual, in that emotion, or are they looking from the outside in and, and observe it? Uh, um, it can be either or both. Okay. Uh, it depends. At one point in time, I was trained that you needed to take the person into the abriac, into to, to the tears, to the anger, etc., in order to release it. Uh, that is no longer necessary. Sometimes it is, but it doesn't not, not ne- it doesn't necessarily have to be. I use. I've learned to use time. Uh, what's called timeline therapy, in which the person is taken above the timeline going back and then taking a look down and seeing what the lessons were. And once the lesson is learned, it doesn't have to be repeated. And at that point, everything is left back in that time frame. The lesson is learned. um, The person is taken back before it happened so so the person can realize what it is to be whole and complete. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And because sometimes we, we forget about it. We, for, we lose our original programming. And it's my belief that all humans, at one point, we were created perfect. And then we learned imperfection as, as we went along. And once we go back and where we see um, the joy and the freedom we had as a child playing in, in the backyard with our toys and sandbox, and we recover that joy of childhood... We, 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 well, we recover that joy and bring it back and the feeling of having a whole and complete body yeah. and having our needs met. Uh-huh. Uh, then most of our problems at that point dissolve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, ha- we get confidence in ourselves, in the universe, that um, things are going to be the way that are they going to, to turn out well, even though it might be a little bit, as you said, crappy in yeah. the meantime? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I talk to people regularly in the store that I work in, mm-hmm. talking about emotions 
And mm-hmm. I see that emotion is one of these things that people have such a hard time with. It's easy to find a capsule for some kind of a pain or cold or flu. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes down to emotions and people pour their hearts out to me about what's going on in their life, mm-hmm. um, uh, you realize that it uh, sometimes it is actually uh, hormonally hormonally yeah. connected yeah. and and so but the feeling is real the feeling is triggered by uh, by something in this case hormones hormonal imbalances mm-hmm. uh, estrogen too much estrogen too much testosterone and um, what I try to help people with either su- make suggestions or send them to somebody who I know is good working with hormones so that first of all we try to balance the hormones before we go and see if, if we can actually alleviate a lot of the symptoms that they're suffering from at the time mm-hmm. When and, and so many people are misdiagnosed sadly enough by the medical profession as uh, not having any hormonal problems everything is normal but it's still all the symptoms show that there's hormonal issues now I think when we can balance the hormones we should be able to help uh, the person first of all find some kind of a balance then see how much of these emotional pains are left and then work with a, a therapy like you're talking about is that is that fair to say or do you say well you know you can even with hormonal imbalances you can we can uh, go into regression and uh, deal with somebody's issues uh, I think you can work with it um, either way uh even with the emotional imbalance, the hormonal imbalance, you can go in and work with the issues. We're hitting a break. And okay. uh, so what we do is when we come back, we'll discuss this more with you. We'll talk to you in just a moment. It says over here in the superficial hypnotic state, the patient accepts suggestions but does not necessarily carry them out. Patients who reach the deep or somnambulistic state uh, benefit most from hypnotherapy. It is in this state that post-hypnotic suggestions, suggestions that means suggestions that take effect after the patient awakens from the trance to relieve pain, that post-hypnotic suggestions to relieve pain are most successful. According to the World Health Organization, 90% of the general population can be hypnotized with 20 to 30% having a high enough susceptibility to enter the somnambulistic state, making them highly receptive to treatment. Research has demonstrated that a person's body chemistry actually changes during a hypnotic state, uh, in an hypnotic trance. In one experiment, a young girl was unable to hold her hand in a bucket of ice water for more than 30 seconds. Testing showed that the blood levels of cortisol in her body were high, indicating she was undergoing severe stress. Under hypnosis, she was able to keep the same hand in ice for 30 minutes while there was no rise in blood cortisol levels. There are many ways of inducing hypnosis, regardless of what produced, uh, regardless of what procedure is used. The main concern during hypnosis is to quiet the patient's conscious mind and to make the unconscious mind more accessible. Because of the unconscious mind is basically non-critical, suggestions have a better chance of being effective than they would if given during a normal wake state. And uh, I think, Barbara, that is really, as we're talking about 
hormone levels, hormone problems. And we're talking earlier, but it's something we haven't really uh, continued to discuss, and hopefully we'll do that uh, in this in this hour. Talking about the uh, the effects of drugs, people coming to you to be helped with issues that they're dealing with to actually deal with prescription drugs while they're taking prescription drugs or if they are taking um, uh, hallucinants on a regular basis, it could severely affect the session. And I would like to have your answer on this, Barbara. I appreciate you're with us today, but we have a caller on hold. Caller, good morning to you. What do you have to weigh in on this topic? Well, I have a couple questions. I find this very fascinating. What is your name, please? Buster. Buster. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Does one go back in sequence of past past lives, or does the client jump kind of to the right uh, life that solves the question? Normally the uh, client would go right to the life that solves the question. Sometimes there's different levels to the question and to, to the situation. And it goes back to the easiest one, and then we go back to the original, the root cause. And it's, and the, cl- it's, it's the client who is seeing this, or uh, experiencing this, or is it? are you seeing this and uh, sharing it with them? The client is seeing this. It's the client's perception that's important. It's not my own. And sometimes I'm able to see what's going on. Huh with my mind's eye, and then I ask, then that allows me to ask the question so the client can see it and relay it. It only when the client, it's the client's perception that's important. And sometimes I, it's coming, if it comes through me, I've got my own filters, which I hope I've eliminated quite a bit, but I'm still human, so I still have a few. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's coming through the client and through the client's perception that's important and that affects the change. And how far back does one reasonably go, or can one go in past lives? I have not reached the limit. I've <laughs> gone before Earth. Um, I've gone before creation, before Earth was formed. Huh. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, so uh-huh. theoretically, we can go all the way way back to the beginning of ultimate creation, or the, or the Big Bang. I have no idea. I mean, this is—I don't know anything about this, but it seems like if you had, there must be a good reason why the human mind or consciousness doesn't allow us to remember all these things. Because it seems like we have a pretty good now compared to our lifetimes that would have, you know than the thousands of lifetimes you're perhaps talking about, you'd have a lot of bad memories. Yeah. Difficult, uh, difficult life experiences. Well, we have a hard time sometimes remembering what happened yesterday. Uh, the unconscious mind knows, uh, I'm trying to think about what, what the number is, but it's something like 10 times more than the conscious mind realizes. And with all of that, the conscious mind can only process so much at one time, so it just puts it away. That's, it's my I, theory that that's why older, uh, some of us older people have a hard time remembering what happened two or three days ago. 
but we have a great memory about what happened in the past because when it happened in the past in our childhood we didn't have so many memories to block it whereas we're we have so much going on now that remembering what happened you know three four hours ago is not important until we want to remember it and then we've we can but it takes time to go into the unconscious mind to pull out the the memory uh, with my clients, they learn how to access the unconscious mind and those memories. So their memory in general improves, and they're able to recall whatever they need to know, regardless of when it happened. I see. I see. Not only that, but... Pardon? I'm sorry, is that, that sounds like there would be a correlation perhaps with Alzheimer's, treating Alzheimer's? Possibly. Uh, possibly, but I've not had the privilege of working with an Alzheimer's person. Hmm. Uh, one of the criteria is being able to have, um, I would say, control of the mind or be able to concentrate. And as long as the person is able to concentrate and focus, I'm able to work with them. We're a- a- able to, to do some work together. Can I, ask, can I ask one more kind of off-the-ball question? Buster, oh. Buster, can you do me a favor and speak into the uh, telephone? Because you sound a little soft. Oh, sorry. There we go. Um, uh, from a past life concept, with uh, the population that's on Earth today, there mm-hmm. must be some equation that the X, whatever it is, hundreds of millions or billions of people that are here today or in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. How do they all have, there must be some equation that there's X billion people on the planet today, mm-hmm. and that's more than there were people ever before on the, in existence. How do you, at, you know, at some point there's an equation like that, how do you, how does, how does everybody who's on the planet today have multiple past lives? I have a thought well, about it, but... Uh, okay, a, well, okay. <laughs> now go ahead, Barbara. Okay, let, let, let me um, rephrase that a little bit. Uh, there are so many people on Earth, where do they all come from? Not everybody on Earth has been on Earth many lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not many have been in this third-dimensional Earth many lifetimes. There are some people, yes, who are here for the first time. Uh, there are some people, and they've come from various different other dimensions and other places. We're going through, the Earth is going through tremendous change, and it's exciting. And think about how many people like to go on Ferris wheels and roller coasters. The Earth is going through a tremendous roller coaster right now, and... Some people get a big charge out of excitement and thrills. And if you can handle it, the Earth is a wonderful place to be right now. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. Does that make sense, Buster? Well, all of it makes enough sense that it makes you very interested. Well, and that is what we try to do for sure. And if you have any experience with it, uh, you know, that is great that you share it with us. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Buster. Have a good Sunday. Thank you, Buster. And we have a call on hold. Caller, thank you much for joining us uh, today. What is your name? How can we help you? Uh, this is Robert. I have one, well, one question and, well, two questions, actually. What is your name, Roland? Robert. Robert. Hi, Robert. Yeah. Does, um, 
I believe it was in the 50s, there was a very celebrated case in the Northeast where a, a hypnotherapist was doing past life regression at a mental hospital, and he, he uh, regressed someone from outside the hospital. It was a local farmer. And um, this guy went back several lifetimes, got very lucid, and the uh, hypnotherapist had him write down messages. And are you familiar with that case? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, he went back several lifetimes, all the way back to being on a spaceship headed for Earth. Each time the uh, hypnotherapist had him write a message, he had several psychiatrists verify that the man was indeed doing that, then had the writing verified with, with um, experts and say, yes, this is, this is actually Egyptian writing. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just one celebrated case that I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. where, where people were very lucid going back into several different lifetimes. The other, the other question I have for you is, um, one of the theories that I've been developing is that um, our modern-day computer system is modeled after our mind. Mm-hmm. So that, and my, my concept is, what we, what we're looking at out through our eyes, mm-hmm. is the uh, what we see on the computer screen. Yes, that's the computer that's running, and the subconscious mind is similar to the hard drive, mm-hmm. or DOS. Right. DOS records everything. So our current run, currently running program is fine until there's a glitch in one line of DOS. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. A glitch in the subconscious mind. If you, what I'm hearing you say, if you can go back and, and correct that one little glitch in DOS, then our current program runs better. Correct. Okay, you agree with that. Okay, that that seems to be the way it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I fully agree with that, and it's it's a matter of going back and finding out what where the, the glitch is and changing it. And that could be very close or very far away Correct. in time. Uh-huh. Yes. And and to uh, to explain to uh, to talk about uh, the previous caller, um, explaining why we have so many people on this planet. If you look at the whole universe as a living being, mm-hmm. existing uh, life as we know it on this planet Earth, could very well exist in other parts of the universe because it's so large and so big. And mm-hmm. uh, developments, uh, the, the the concrete non-time traveling that most people stick with in the, on, in the Western society doesn't mean that that's really the way it is. Uh, time right. travel mm-hmm. could have happened and, uh, and, and distance traveling can have, um, probably has happened, uh, which could explain the existence of so many people on this planet and having such a diversity of uh, religions and beliefs and, and value systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more question or another question. In your regressions, have you um, have you dealt with a concept of group soul? Yes. Group soul? Is that what you say? Group soul, yes. Group soul, okay. You can explain it better. Uh, y- yes, a group soul is, um, is actually, okay, going way, 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 way back. Uh, when we split off from the Godhead. We're, when we, we were 
created as non-physical beings, as first of all. There was a, this goes way back before Earth, way back before Adam and Eve. We had, um, there was um, several souls that were created, and then from each soul, each of those larger souls, different souls were um, split off. And each of those groups had a particular purpose. And each of the individuals had a different purpose about splitting off. And then from the split off, eventually they split into male and female for various other experiences. Uh-huh. This was all to gain experience, to gain, to enjoy, to appreciate, and to um, gain knowledge, wisdom, both individually and collectively. Okay, and that uh, continues in, in my understanding as small groups. Mm-hmm. And and my also my understanding is that explains why you can regress a hundred people and four of them will have been Abraham Lincoln. Yes, will experience the same thing. Well, and experience it, and uh, also people who are incarnated or live with a, pers- a strong personality will tend to take on that personality and. Um, want to be like that personality, huh. so that when they're they're in the future, when, when they regress back, they will assume the personality of that person by careful questioning, non-leading questioning. You can find out when they, if that really was a person, or whether they were just around that person. I see, but it gave them a certain comfort. Right, to, to, uh, it was a certain energy that they took on yeah. for themselves. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Huh. How much experience have you had with multiple personalities? Uh, multiple personalities as such, I've only we got one person that was a true multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go on a sideline, people come... I. I've observed that people go to the therapist that that can help them, that they're attracted to them. So people who come to me are somehow there's part of them that knows that I can help them with, with, with their situation. So I don't get multiples per se. I have people who've exhibited multiple personalities, but they tend to have beings that are additional residents in their bodies. Uh-huh. I call um, possessions. Mm-hmm. And we go through a depossession process in which they're identified and asked. And most of them are beings that have not finished their dying process and have just a, taken a shortcut into getting into another human body instead of continuing through the dying process and getting one of their own. And we get them to go into the light and to completing the dying process. Mm. And they're much happier. Well, that explains much. Um, Robert, we gotta we gotta go. I have to go. All right, I, you can call back after the break if you like. Uh, that opens up the phone line for other people. But I appreciate your input and your insights. Thank you so much. Have a good Sunday. We'll be right back. Barbara, a topic that we started talking about in the, uh, earlier, uh, and uh, let's let's regress. <laughs> let's go back in time. Uh, I talked to you, knowing that so many people are uh, on the uh, are using 
prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Many people are dealing with anxiety and depression. They're taking medication for it. We are pretty much an overprescribed uh, country. Um, the uh, prescription drugs happen very quickly, but there are also the people who uh, who who use hallucinants. They they smoke marijuana, use crack, uh, cocaine. These people could act on the outside coming in. You wouldn't, you couldn't tell that they're doing this, that they're on medication because it keeps them in balance, so to say. It gets them to a state where they can actually function. How does? How do, do those kind of drugs, legal or illegal, prescription or over-the-counter, how do they affect a session? How do you as a therapist find out that maybe they're taking something? Uh, I do a detailed intake form, okay. history, okay. first of all. And second of all, I do ask pointed questions about, uh, about the drugs, alcohol, etc. With... Illegal drugs, usually they take them for a positive benefit for adjunct, um, and it, it, and they, they do affect a change in personality, etc. I get very few of those now, uh, most of them, and I, I stress that it, it, the results will not be as they expect on the recreational drugs. On the prescription drugs, they're used to handle a symptom, to handle a specific problem, and usually they're monitored very closely by a medical professional. And I and those are usually I had no problems with people. One fellow was on thirty some medications huh. when we started out. He gradually re- reduced them. Wow! But even in at the beginning, we had no problem going back and doing work that we needed to do. Uh, the work is gradual because at that point when someone's that heavily medicated, they've got some serious problems and doing um, intensive work uh-huh. is not um, uh, recommended. I, I, it's more and more of a gradual until they're ready to handle the more intense uh, memories. Okay. In which case, it, it works fine. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people are on depress, depress, antidepressants of one type or another. Usually, depressants are a temporary thing until they get through a situation, and we get through the situation quite rapidly. Uh, sometimes they've been um, suicidal, and I've had clients that have been referred to me by um, psychiatrists who have, and I use that in plural, that have clients that are there unable to get through to a certain point they can get to a certain point they can't get past it and they send them to me for more in-depth work and we go through and sometimes we find that not only is it in suicide in this lifetime but in other other lifetimes and one of the problems with suicide in a different lifetime you can take a look at it and you can see the effect of it on their total soul growth Wow. And it could be, um, and usually it's a suicide from avoidance of a difficult situation. Avoidance of difficult... Avoidance. Either a loved one has died and they can't stand to live without the loved one. Yeah. So they tr- try to join them in death. Well, that doesn't work because the loved one has gone, gone on 
and the one who commits suicide is stuck in a, in a process. Um, sometimes it's because they've lost everything and can't and don't know how else to, to survive because they're, they won't let them live, let them live at a different lifestyle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they, they decided they'll just live, you know, leave it. Right, exactly. Well, the, the problem, and um, that has happened uh, periodically. It's, suicide is nothing new in the 20th or 21st century. So, but coming into this lifetime, they lose their, their free will. Um, suicide is uh, misuse of the inherent gift, a God-given gift of free will. Uh-huh. So That's right. Because of that, they usually you have a choice coming in as to parents, situation, etc. Yeah. But if when you misuse the free will, you lose that opportunity. You lose that that choice. So that when you you're put into a situation where you have to learn to cope with the situation you were trying to leave, avoid. Uh-huh. So the family you come into, it's probably not the best family, but it's the best family for you to, to learn your lesson, which can be very rough. Right. I, I have also heard that uh, using the word karma, which is uh, something we haven't really used in this program yet, mm-hmm. but that committing suicide actually creates a certain load of karma that often a soul being now in a different state and then mm-hmm. the physical body might actually decide to come back in order to be aborted. And that uh, often there is a death during pregnancy or there is indeed the choice by the mother to have an abortion and that there is often souls who volunteer for that to go in embodiment in order to never come on the planet physically anymore but to go through that process is that something that you have heard before or is this something that uh that i have heard that but i have not experienced no proof. that with, with, with regression work okay okay so it's a nice theory but we don't know for sure if it's true but i have not i i have gone through in the past i've gone through um where people have been aborted or either spontaneously or intentionally in other lifetimes hmm. All right. Uh, sometimes they've come in t- to the mother in order to teach mother a lesson, to provide a lesson for mother, or sometimes to, to provide a lesson for themselves. Right. Good morning, caller. Your name, please. How can we help you? This is Robert again. And yeah, Robert. You, you made one one comment uh, that, that if people heard that, it's going to be a real serious ouch, and I'd like you to elaborate on that. And that's that quite often we pick our parents. Now, I know people that say, no way in hell. <laughs> I, that. I got stuck here. That's, but I know that's not true, so would you elaborate on that and give us some of your experiences with people, please? Yes, I will. Thank you. Um, that's a very good question. Yes, uh, generally we do pick our parents. However, sometimes we pick a situation or we, we pick someone around the parents that we want to be near. And sometimes we want to pick a situation that the parents will lead us to in years future. And sometimes we just want to be around them and we don't take complete look at the entire situation. Uh-huh. 
some people just want to be come back as soon as possible with whatever womb is available. Huh. And without knowing, without considering what's going on, oftentimes we have beings around us, such as our guardian angel, um, guides, etc., um, non-physical beings that will give us advice if we, but it's up to us to take it. Correct. And I've had instances in which the being was cautioned that was not the, the way to do it. That was too many, too much, too many problems for her to handle. But she was very positive that she had the strength and she she could handle it. Yeah. Well, until she she got in, and then she realized that um, she should have followed the advice. But by that time, she was already physical, and it was too late. Um, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, as in prior suicides, you don't have a choice. You were put in, you're saying, okay, you, you, you go there, you learn the lesson, and then you might have a choice later. And once you learn that you do have a choice, and then you can make good choices, and that all choices are not easy ones, and sometimes it's a, between a rock and a hard spot. Uh-huh. But the fact that you make a choice increases the ability and increases your, the opportunity for free will in the future. Right. Yes. Um, when you talk about children being abused, how do they... Why, why, why did they choose it? Why did they choose the parents? Um, that is difficult to understand until, you, until they've grown up and then can go back and take a look at, and when I say grown up, I, I don't mean you have to wait until you're 60 or 70, but sometimes just, you know, 20 or so. Yeah. Um, because in order to get the full impact and the reason for it, sometimes a very wise soul, old soul, developed soul, etc., will choose a difficult childhood in order to get those experiences, in order to get that background so they can teach and help those through it later on. Right. Uh-huh. But then they, they've forgotten why they chose it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, because, that's because, the mercy, right? Is that kind of the mercy of coming into embodiment that we don't know our memories? Yes. Right. And they're so involved in survival that going back is too much for them. Uh-huh. It's all they can do to, to, to survive the moment. Yeah. And that, that's all that they need, need to do. Yeah. And they realize that they have, then they learn survival techniques. They, they, they learn that they're not alone. They have other things that, and they learn in order to help people later. Uh, there's so much to, to the human experience that uh, that I, I keep finding out it's amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree with you. And, and uh, you know, a question that comes up since you're talking about suicide. Um, people who are being shot and mm-hmm. killed mm-hmm. at random, mm-hmm. uh, the bullet ricocheted over a wall or a piece of uh, metal and ricocheted and killed them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not supposed, uh, so-called, according to our conscious mind, they were not supposed to be there. They ended up in a line of fire, and their life is cut short. Yeah. Are we uh, number one question is: Did the soul know that was a possibility that this was going to happen in this life? And number two, for people who are lost like this, for those who stay behind. Mm-hmm. Is there any way for these people to get closure with that soul through a regression uh, regression session with you? With that, yeah. with kind of connect, and I don't want you know. Some people might call it psychic, but that's not really well. Let's let's use that word um, uh, in order to maybe understand what I'm what I'm hinting at. Okay, I think I understand what what you're hitting at. First of all, the first question: um, unexpected death. Uh, are expected on some level, uh-huh. and some people are only here for a short period of time because that, that, that's all the only time that, that they, they really need here. Uh, same way with children's deaths. Yeah. You know, when, when you take crib deaths, you know, children dying for no, no expected reason or for, you know, a stray bullet or a stray car. Yeah. That it's... Uh, they're here for a certain reason, and that's the easy way out for them. That they've they've completed their purpose. Um, they're on to another job. And yes, and for those be behind, yes, there there is a way of completing of getting closure. And I wouldn't say it's psychic, but I've led people to to, to that it's alpha state and maybe a little bit beyond, where we can see the being the energy being. Because their energy, as as that individual, will be there throughout eternity in that energy force. So we contact that energy force, and it appears to, to them as almost physical. And I lead them through a conversation in which they can have closure, forgiveness on both sides. And I have a lot of Kleenex in my office. <laughs> so in that in that uh, role, you become more like a medium, and I'm I'm visualizing no. now. You don't. Okay. No. All right. No, I have the person go in a tutu to that space and imagine that person or visualize that that person, and as they visualize that person, that person's energy um, fills out the visualization and can respond. Right. I'm I'm thinking all of a sudden about the movie Ghost that came out with mm-hmm. Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. And me more, and uh, the yeah. uh, the energy, um, him, uh, Patrick Swayze, as a non-physical being, still being present and still being haven't left until mm-hmm. the job was finished, exactly. and then leaving to a different state of consciousness. Um, is that uh, was that a fair depiction of what is possible, or do you say that was really Hollywood? I mean, obviously it was Hollywood, but I think for a lot of people, this movie brought up a lot of stuff in people because it was almost like a visualization of something that people have felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a long time and um, that movie kind of uh, gave them oh wow that is possibility how it may happen yes and also not only I believe that was because of an accident that's correct no he was, he oh. was killed actually uh, accident yes absolutely right and he it, it, that was an accident sometimes even through natural death um, the being the non-physical stays around um, usually through Usually they stay around through the funeral. Okay, interesting. 
um, because they like to see what people say about them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're still curious. Yes. Um, so sometimes they, they leave immediately. Sometimes they stay around to make sure that their families are okay. And when I was doing my bereavement work with hospice, I would often, and it's, it's not unusual for the bereaved to have um, visitations either in dreams or maybe in waking life where they see a glimpse of their departed, of their loved one. Right. And, and I assure them that that is natural and for them to acknowledge it and thank them for the time that they're there, that they, they had with them together, and say that you can go on now and to release them. Sometimes that's part of the undying process. Yeah. And sometimes the people are there for a message, and, if, and they can dialogue with them themselves. They really don't need me to do it. Sometimes they just need an excuse, and I would say an excuse, or an opportunity to do it in private, and knowing that they're not crazy, and right. for someone to accept it, accept it as being happening, right? And then it happens. And at that point, there's usually a closure. And sometimes they feel a sense of relief. Sometimes a huge, humong, humongous sense of love. Yeah, yeah. We're coming close to a closure on this program, Barbara. We have a caller on hold. Uh, caller, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, what is your name, and how can we help you? Yeah, hi. My name is Peter. Hi, Peter. And uh, I have a, about 10 years ago, I read this book by uh, Chet, uh, Dr. Chet Snow, Mass, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Mass Dreams of the Future, yeah. and where he hypnotized people and brought them into the, uh, into the future. And I was mm-hmm. wondering if you ever had any experience with uh, doing that. Yes, I oh, have. Interesting. Yes, I, I worked with Chet Snow for a couple times, and yes, I have. And uh, going into the future is very interesting since the future changes personally, um, with every decision you make. Can you tell me the name of the book again, Peter? I I think it's called Mass Dreams of the Future, if I remember right. That's correct. Mass Dreams of the Future. Yes. Mass Dreams of the Future. Okay, thank you. And uh, going in to the future, going to a lifetime, say a thousand, a a hundred years from now, or a thousand years from now, is much easier than going to the future ten years from now. Wow. Uh, that being the, when I tried that, the future, the needed future is blocked because we're in the process of living it, and as in the process of living it, we have the opportunity of changing it. When we go into the um, 10 years in the future, I, I, I did this in the 80s, so I was able to, to and I followed the, the, the clients through, and I found out that what we saw was more of a symbology. One woman was very distressed because she saw herself sitting under a tree alone and no one around her. And when, it, when, when the time frame came, it was because her son had gone off to college, her husband was busy working, and she had taken the time to spend a weekend by herself. And part of that was in, in nature, and she was spent a lot of time underneath the tree watching the ocean. So it, the interpretation was different. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And another time we went ahead, and she saw herself on a mountain with monkeys and really strange. And she, I have no idea where, where this was. Well, 
it ended up that we had gone to Japan together, and outside of um, this one temple was it's called the monkey temple there was a monkey hill in which they had monkeys running wild all over the place yeah so yes okay that happened but it was not what we thought i see so it was you can see the glimpses but the the interpretation is different when we went ahead um you know to 2100 uh we we went we had to go further because that person was not in physical form then. So we went forward to the next time they were in physical form, and it was great. It it was and we went to the end of that that year and saw the um the, the political situation, the space situation, etc. And it will be interesting to find out what really happens. And it's from from our political situation now and from what the our space program it's all possible hmm. and, and did you ever uh, run into people who were on other planets or in space vehicles or yes <laughs> uh-huh. um, quite often uh, sometimes that's a, some sometimes that's how they got here and then we go back to where they were beforehand and some of the beings were not what we, we we're not humanoid. <coughs> Sometimes there are various forms of fish, rays, um, animal, but they were all sentient beings. Uh, sometimes they were humans. They were humanoid, but not quite human. Sometimes they were beings. They were just non-physical. But then when we got into that lifetime, and they were. Getting getting in more involved in it, then they became more of a physical being, but they were not as physical as you. They were on a different vibratory level, dimension as we are now. I'm in the process. It, it's a it's a process point of developing the vocabulary, etc., to explore different realities because you're in a different frame. I think that at this point, uh, Barbara, we uh, since we hit the end of the program, Peter, I want to thank you for calling in. And okay, thank you. Do it again. Have a good Sunday. And uh, you know, Barbara, it's uh, it it opens the door for another show where okay. we can really touch more on these topics. And I know you sometimes come to the Bozeman area, and mm-hmm. maybe we can plan something around that. And maybe we have you in the studio with us. Uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for enlightening us today, and uh, and all your information is very valuable. I appreciate your 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 being on the program this early for California time. All the best to you, and a Merry Christmas, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. All right, folks. Thank, thank you for the oppor- opportunity. These three hours have gone by quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, that's right. Folks, uh, have a Merry Christmas. Talk to you later. Gesundheit with Jacobus.